So I have a real challenge before me today because I can smell food. And if I can smell it, I know you can smell it too. And I'll just go ahead and say I'm hungry also. And I know that I don't have your attention for very long. So I, if I have it at all. But I, I promise that I'll keep my sermon to a short 45 minutes and we'll be down there to eat just as soon as we can. But uh, we do want to continue in our study in the doctrine of worship today. And so let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get into the, the sermon today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today knowing that we have great things ahead of us. We are going to enjoy a wonderful time of fellowship and play and uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hands that have prepared the food, for the time and the ability we have to do that. Lord, coming off of a year where we just couldn't do anything to fellowship, Lord, we thank you that we are now able to do that. And Lord, I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would uh, prosper our, our time together and that we would be joined in unity together through this fellowship time. But before we do that, Lord, we want to break the bread of life. And so, Father, we pray that you would work through the words that are read and the words that are preached to bring us closer to you because we are called to worship you. We're called to praise you both with our actions, our deeds and with our words. And so, Father, I pray that we would see that very clearly from this text and that you would call us to a new and heightened sense of devotion to you as we worship you in our lives through our posture and our praise. So, Father, I pray that you would work through me, that you would use the words that I say, that I might encourage and build up, and that you would take away those words that would distract or lead astray. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So over the last several weeks, we've been answering the question of what worship is. And I've spent the last, what, three sermons devoted to answering that question. And we come to the last answer to the question of what worship is today. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. But I want to spend just a little bit of time reminding you of where we've been so far as we've looked at this question of what worship is. So we've used the two Hebrew words for worship which are Abad and Saha. And each time I've gone to the first few times that those words are used in the Bible to try and give us a definition of what worship is. And so we started out by seeing that worship is the act of aligning the whole of our lives under the rule of Christ. And then we saw that worship is also the act of communing with God through the presence of His Spirit. And then last week we saw that worship is the act of giving all of our lives to God as an offering of praise. So all of that helps us to understand better what worship is. But you might have noticed as we've gone through those definitions, none of them have dealt really with our words and our our. Um, our confession to God. And so we're going to spend today looking at the last definition that I want you to, to understand about worship. And today I want you to understand that worship is the act of ascribing to God 
the glory due His name through our words and our deeds. So just in case you're writing that down, let me say it again. Worship is the act of ascribing to God the glory due His name through our words and our deeds. So to see that, I want us to look at the third use of the word saha by reading Genesis chapter 24, verses 10 through 27, and then we'll read verses 50 through 52. Now, this is a long story, and there's no way that I could read this and get us down to the fellowship hall in time to eat food that's hot. So uh, what I want to do is just read the, the most important verses of this passage and then talk about them. But in your Lord's Day reading this afternoon, I encourage you to go back, go home and go back to Genesis 24 and read the whole story because this is a beautiful love story. It's actually a love story that we find in Scripture about God's appointment of Rebekah for Isaac. And so let's read verses 10 through 27 and then verses 50 through 52. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside of the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. And show steadfast love to, your master, to my master, Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young, women, uh, young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten golden shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, 
We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the God of the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And then if you'll skip down to verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. So from this text this morning, I want you to see two points. And we're going to to break these two points down and spend a good bit of time focusing on the words that the servant says and the, the responses that he gives to the works of God in this story. Now, like I said, I don't have time to go through all of the story. I'm going to spend a little bit of time uh, telling you the background of the story. But if you want to uh, hear a sermon on the whole of this text, I actually preached a sermon on this uh, a while back. And if you go to uh, my podcast or my website, if you, if you see those every week when I post this sermon, you can go back and find this Genesis chapter 24 and listen to that sermon. But uh, I want to focus particularly on the words that are used to speak of this servant's response to God's work in, the, in this situation. So I want you to see two points. First, the responses of praise. And then second, the reason for praise. So first, let's consider two responses of praise from our text. Now, if you were to skip back to verse 1 and 2, you'll get kind of the fuller context of what is going on here. And what you find there is that Abram, uh, Abraham is very old now. He was already old, but now he's very old. He's at the point of death, and he realizes that his teenage son, Isaac, does not have a mate. And he's worried that, again, the, the promise of God needs to be fulfilled, that he will be made into a great nation. And for that to happen, Isaac has to have a wife. But he's also seen that his other son, Ishmael, has married among the, the tribes of the land. And also he has seen for himself how the tribes of the land of Canaan act, that they are pagans who worship other gods. And he does not want Isaac to have a wife who will worship other gods. And so he tells, he has this servant come in, and this is his most trusted servant. It's the servant that has, number one, been with him the longest, and the servant who has watched care over all of his possessions. Technically, uh, this servant has full control, in uh, kind of like a, a power of attorney, over everything that Abraham owns, and even, at this point, over Abraham's son, Isaac, because Isaac is a young man at this point. And so, he has this most trusted of servant come in and make a promise that he will not allow Isaac to marry a woman of the land, but that he will go back to 
Isaac, I mean Abraham's homeland to Nahor, and he will find a woman, a wife for Isaac of the tribe of Abraham himself. And just like Abraham, who was faithful to obey God, even though he didn't know what God was going to do, as we saw last Sunday in going and willingly going to sacrifice his son Isaac, so too this servant responds faithfully. He doesn't know what he's going to do or how God is going to fulfill this this, uh, command, but he goes willingly. He loads up 10 camels with all the treasure that he can find, and he heads out for Nahor. The servant comes to the city of Nahor, and before he reaches the town, he's outside of the town, he comes to a well, and as he approaches that well, he begins to pray. And he prays, sort of this, he puts this test to the Lord, and he says, Lord, if you will be faithful to your servant and to, to, your, uh, to my master Abraham, and you will show me who Isaac should marry. And he says, if the, the one that you would have Isaac to marry will come and give me a drink of water, and not just give me a drink of water, but also water my ten camels, then I'll know that this is the woman that you would have for your uh, for Abraham's son, Isaac. And notice in verse 15, it says that before he had finished speaking, Rebekah walks up and carries out exactly what the servant had just prayed for. So he asked her, where are you from? Who's your daddy? You know, who's, who's your father? Kind of like we do in Greenville. We play the, the Greenville game where we find out everybody who's related to you. And we know, oh, we know uncles that they don't even know they have, you know, when we start playing that game. Well, that's what he does. And he starts connecting. He realizes that she is the daughter of Bethuel and of the same tribe as Abraham. Now, at this, the text says in verse 26 that he bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And in that worship, he blessed the Lord for the work that he had just done through him. So he goes on to the house of Bethuel, and there he retells this whole story of how he had put this test to the Lord, and the Lord had been faithful, and he makes this proposal that Rebekah should be the bride of Isaac. And at that proposal, Bethuel and and Rebekah's brother Laban respond in verse 50 by saying, that there's no way that they could contradict the will of the Lord, that obviously this is the will of God and they're not going to contradict it. Now at this news, we find in verse 52 that the servant bows himself to the ground before the Lord. Now in verse 26 and in verse 52, when it says that the servant worshipped or bowed before the Lord, this is our Hebrew word, sahah. Okay, and the the ways that the faithful servant worships the acts of God helps us to understand better what worship is. So let's consider two responses that the servant has to the works of the Lord. First, notice that the servant responds with a posture of praise. In verses 26 and 52, the first reaction that the servant has to the work of God is to bow in worship. 
Now, a couple of sermons back, I was talking about the reverence of reverencing God. And I mentioned that everywhere you look at the word worship in the Old Testament, the word Saha in the Old Testament, it is most often translated as bow. So worship is a physical response to God. Worship is, according to God's word, a physical response to God. Now, um, the worship of God demands a change in our posture. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 31, when the people of Israel heard from Moses that the Lord had seen their affliction and was going to deliver them, it says that all of the people bowed and worshiped to God. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 27, the psalmist says that all of the nations will eventually bow before the Lord and his might. Church, I want you to understand something. And I made this point a couple of sermons back, but I want to reemphasize it because it really comes to bear here. Do not believe the spirit of our age, which says that what you do in worship the posture you take and the methods and elements of our worship don't matter. It is very popular in our day to speak of worship as only an internal thing. And now understand, worship is an internal thing. Worship is an issue of the heart, but it is also an issue of action. If you say that you, a good example, if you can say that you worship God in a tree stand, but yet you don't take the actions that God says you should take on a Sunday morning, which is bringing your rear end here and carrying out the actions that God prescribes, then you are not worshiping according to God. If you do not make take physical actions that reflect a spirit of worship, then you are not worshiping. Worship is a physical response to God. The very word worship, saha, means to bow before the Lord of all glory. We must be careful about the posture we take in worship. We must be careful about what we bring into our worship and what we leave out. The posture we take and the things we do in our worship say something about what we believe. Second, notice that the servant responds with a profession of praise. In verses 27 and 48, the servant worships God with his mouth by attributing his success to God's work. The works of God both gracious and terrible, demand our praise. In Job chapter, tw- chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, after hearing that his children had been killed by a tornado and that he had lost everything that he had, he, uh, Job tears his robe and he bows down, Sahaz, and he says, The Lord gives... And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Psalm chapter 29 verse 2 calls us to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. And Psalm 66 verse 4 tells us to sing praises as an act of worship. So now that we've seen the response of praise, let's consider the reason for praise that we find in this story. In verses 27 and 48, we find that God's faithfulness to his promises are a reason for praise. The servant praises God by saying that he has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness to my master. This servant had seen the struggles of Abraham and all along he had seen that God had remained faithful to his master. And now God is going to continue that faithfulness because he has, pro- he has brought about the, the matchmaking of Isaac and Rebekah, the next line, the next generation of God's promise to his master. And not only that, but the servant also says that God has proven himself to the servant. He has proven by leading the servant in the right way. The servant prayed, and before the last words had even left his mouth, God had been faithful to answer his prayer. And brothers, brothers and sisters, there are so many ways when, where we have seen God's faithfulness in our lives. There are times when God has answered our prayers in healing a family member of cancer or healing a friend of a heart condition. There are times when God has been faithful to give us the words to say and the strength to say them when we need to witness. There are times when God has given us just what we needed to get through the day when we thought we couldn't make it one more day. And all of those and more reasons are reasons that we should praise God for. And we should praise Him with our posture, with our actions, and with our profession, with our words. Yet, more times than not, our posture and our profession are not directed at God. Often, the posture we take is one of defiance, not reverence. The posture we take is one of self-dependence uh, and self uh, selfish desire rather than a desire to please and glorify our God. Many times the profession we make is not a profession of God and his mighty works, but a profession of our own pride. We talk more about ourselves, more about what we want than what God wants. But we're not alone in this sin. You see, even though the Israelites bowed down and worshiped God when he had delivered them from Egypt, we still find them later bowing down and worshiping not God, but other gods. God would say to his chosen people in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 13, You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And even when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to them, they refused to profess faith in Him and they refused to bow down. He did 
marvelous works in their in their sight. And he evidenced himself to be the true Messiah. And yet, instead of worshiping him, they plotted to kill him. And even his own disciples, when faced with the threats of death, instead of professing him and standing by his side, they denied him and ran. But Jesus would not deny his father. In his greatest hour of dread in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would bow down to his father in the garden and he would pray, not my will be done, but yours be done. And on the cross of Calvary, Jesus took the posture of a servant, bowing under the weight of his father's wrath so that he might redeem us from our own idolatry, our own pride, and our own false professions. And in his resurrection, Jesus was exalted above every power so that when the disciples see the resurrected Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9, it says all they can do is fall down at his feet and worship. And at the end of the age in Revelation 15, 4, it says that all of the nations, every tribe, tongue, and people will fall down and worship the Lamb who was slain. Friend, God has been faithful to you even when you fail to profess Him. He has been faithful to you by sending His only Son to live, die, and rise again so that you might have eternal life. Your right response to this faithful God is to profess Him before men. Jesus says, if you will profess me before men, that I will profess you before my Father who is in heaven. Won't you make that profession today? Brothers and sisters, what we say and do in worship matters. In spite of what our popular Christian culture says, we are not just free to do whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want. In worship, the faithful works of God call us to a posture and a profession of praise. But our posture and our profession are not just matters for Sunday morning. As I've already established, worship is a lifelong, everyday act. Our everyday deeds can either distract from the glory of God or magnify it. So in James chapter 2, verse 9, James warns that you can, when you show partiality, when you show partiality towards the people that have wealth, instead of the people in lieu of the people who are in need in church, then you are contradicting the gospel that you claim to believe. Our actions and the way we treat people actually tell others either of the glory of God or of our own glory. But also Peter says in chapter 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12, keep your conduct honorable so that unbelievers may see your good works and glorify God. Your conduct can cause others to glorify God. By your actions you can carry out worship to God and bring others to worship Him too. Our speech, 
can also either distract from or magnify the glory of God. Again, James chapter 3, verse 9 warns that the tongue is a deadly poison. And he says that you can either use the tongue, some people, they use the tongue to bless God, and then they turn around and use that same tongue to curse men who are made in the image of God. And James says, my brothers, these things should not be. But Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 tells us, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, I find this to be the greatest temptation that Christians in our current cultural climate have. Our culture loves the hot take and the sarcastic response and the the personal attack. We don't make reasoned, logical arguments anymore. We make arguments by tearing other people down. That's how our culture works now. And so you watch the news, and it's not full of of quiet, gentle people making a good argument for their political view. It's a, a personal attack against the other side because that's the only argument we have anymore. But Christians should be seasoned. We should be measured We should have wise speech. We should not be so quick to dishonor a politician or another person in our society because he's not of our own political persuasion or uh, on our side of an argument. We should not be so eager to join in on the latest cancellation on social media because everybody else in our peer group is doing it. We should instead speak with grace and love. We bring glory to God in the way that we act and in the deeds that we carry out as we live in this world. God uses our deeds to make others into true worshipers. And we bring glory to God in the way that we speak, both in the kindness with which we speak and the fact that we go to others and speak the gospel. God uses our willingness to glorify Him with our words as a means of creating new worshipers through the gospel. May we leave this place today ready to worship God by bringing glory to Him through our words and our deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this good word. Lord, for the word of Your servant who was faithful to serve you and faithful to trust in you regardless of how uncertain he was of how this purpose of you might be fulfilled. Lord, I pray that we would worship you in our posture and in our profession, that we would bow before you figuratively as we live a circumspect life to those around us, as we live wisely, carrying out deeds that are in Uh, accordance with your gospel that are faithful to your gospel and that we would be faithful to speak as you call us to that we would speak uh, words of life lord that we would not tear down but we would build up and that we would be ever ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us that we would speak the truth of the gospel to those who need to hear it father i pray that you would bless us as we continue to respond to you in worship today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.